Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 230 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is Foundation for Healing, an interview with Lauren Less. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Matt, on this podcast, we try to find people who are at different stages in the healing journey because it is a stage-by-stage journey. And we found someone who was on a long diagnostic journey, almost 15 years, who finally got a Lyme disease diagnosis last year. She is now in the process of building the foundation physically, emotionally, and socially to begin her healing journey. And Rich, Lauren was doing everything right. She has also been diagnosed with EDS, POTS, MCAS, and even chronic inflammatory response syndrome. What I really enjoyed most about Lauren's podcast episode is her talking to us about the nervous system. She's found a tool that she can use to identify real data to determine the status of her nervous system and when and if she needs to take it easy and rest. Matt, the reason Lauren had to go out and get a tool that would give her data on how her nervous system was operating is because she lost touch with her body signals because she was gaslit by doctors during her journey, meaning she would go to doctors and what doctors would tell her because they couldn't come up with a diagnosis for her was that she was fine. And because they told her she was fine, she had to learn how to essentially ignore her body signals, which has now been something that she has to become reacquainted with. And she's using a piece of technology to become reacquainted with her feelings. And that's a really powerful element of this podcast for people who are going to be listening. So Matt, without further ado, I'm really excited to introduce Foundation for Healing, with Lauren Less. Hey, Lauren Less, and welcome to the Tick Bootcamp Podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. We are really excited to have you, Lauren, and, and I can't thank you enough for being willing to share your story with the community and serve as a model for other people who are on the healing journey. It really is important for folks in the community to be vulnerable and to share their experiences. And, I, and again, I can't thank you enough for being kind enough to accept our invitation. So Lauren, talk to us about um, your background. Where do, you, where do you currently live? I live in Chicago. And uh, how long have you lived in Chicago and in the Midwest? I've lived in Illinois my whole life, so 29 years. Um, I went to school at University of Illinois, and then I came back to Chicago. So I've been here ever since. So a Midwestern gal through and through. Yep. (laughs) So uh, talk to us about what your childhood was like as a Midwestern gal. Um, It was good. It was good. Not too much. I mean, my symptoms started when I was like 13. Um, I didn't know at the time, but I had joint pain. I was always tired. Um, My doctors checked my thyroid and they were like, you're fine. So I just kind of, I've always say this to people, but like my whole life, I thought everyone felt this way um, until I think like I started noticing it was hard for me to keep up with people or I went to college and I needed to sleep a lot more than other people. So, um, so, so before we get there, Lauren, um, talk to us about, um, talk to us about what your educational experience was like, meaning when you were, when you were a child going to school, what kinds of things were you learning? What kinds of things were you studying? And I guess more importantly, what kinds of dreams did you have? Meaning where did you perceive yourself being in your adult life? Yeah. Um, I mean, when I was younger, I really liked gymnastics. Um, I played soccer, I ran track. Um, When I was really young, I wanted to be a doctor, but I think I wasn't really sure, you know, in middle school and high school, exactly what I wanted to do. And then I became kind of interested in psychology too. And kind of during college, I went back and forth, like, do I want to do something with psychology or do I want to go to PA school? 
And it kind of took me a while to figure that out. And then I ended up getting my master's in social work. So you always had this healing spirit, meaning you wanted to heal either the body or the mind, but you always wanted to help people heal. And that was sort of the spirit that you always had going all the way back to your childhood. Yes. So talk to us about the kinds of classes that you were taking. Obviously, you were probably a science geek. So talk to us about what it was like um, as a Midwestern gal taking her science classes and her health classes. What kinds of things were you learning about keeping yourself safe and healthy? Yeah. Um, in college, I took a lot of psychology classes, which I found really interesting. Honestly, like I didn't love the science classes at the time, which is funny because now I'm so interested in the way like the body works and, um, you know, even nutrition is something that is really interesting to me now. So it kind of is coming full circle. Like I have a dream now to go back to school eventually, you know, and maybe study nutrition or, you know, something more related to that. Um, so I think I kind of had to have this experience to maybe really figure out what I want to do. Or maybe you need to have this experience to find out what your real assets were and what God created you to do. Right. Yeah. So Lauren, um, talk to us about, you know, as a, Midwestern gal who was interested in healing and interested in taking these classes that you were taking in elementary school and high school and ultimately in college. What do you know about ticks and tick diseases? Nothing. <laughs> I know, mean, you... I, I grew up in the woods too. So I probably got more than one tick bite in my life. Well, we're going to talk about that in a minute, but let's talk about the types of things you did to keep yourself safe. Now, I'm assuming your family and your educational experience is one where you were taught how to keep yourself safe. For example, you were told to stay away from strangers and do things like that, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, what about as an athlete? Were you, were you given any, uh, any instructions on how to keep yourself safe and healthy as an athlete? Um, I mean, just to make sure I was resting, getting enough sleep, stretching, you know, things like that. Right, because you because you wanted to make sure that you'd be performing at a high level and you wouldn't be getting hurt while you're engaging in any of the activity. So as an outdoorsy gal, did anybody give you any instructions about how you should um, take precautions to make sure that you wouldn't come in contact with ticks and how you would keep yourself safe and healthy if you did come in contact with the tick? No. Nothing? Nope. <laughs> so now, Lauren, um, talk to us about uh, talk to us about what you knew about ticks, and 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 um, I, I understand that you were bitten by a tick at least uh, at least one time when you were about thirteen. So talk to us about that experience. Yeah, um, I didn't know much about it. I didn't even remember until a couple of years ago. Um, I was like at camp in the woods. I saw it in my leg. I pulled it out myself. I didn't tell anyone. I don't know if I took it out correctly or all the way. Um, and I kind of just didn't think anything of it because I didn't know it was a big deal. So how did you even know it was a tick that you were bitten by? I think I knew looking back, like at the time, I didn't really know what it was a tick, but I remember what it looks like. So later on, I was like, oh, that was a tick that I was bit by. And do you recall having been bitten by ticks any other times during your life uh, other than that time when you were 13 years old? No, not that I can recall. Okay. So now it's my understanding based on what you just shared with us that your symptoms began um, when you were about 13 as well. So how long after the tick bite did you begin to 
suffer the symptoms of the fatigue and the other things that you were dealing with as a, as a 13 year old child? I feel like it was over the summer when I was going into seventh grade and then like seventh grade is when I started like feeling really fuzzy. Like what I know now is brain fog. And I just like was tired all the time. I started having more joint pain, which I just thought was from gymnastics. And then, um, things just kind of got worse from there. So, so how are these early symptoms interfering with your life? Meaning was it having an impact on your ability to perform, um, at gymnastics practice and in, in competitions? Was it having an impact on your capacity to study in school? And was it having an impact on you socially? Yeah. Um, I mean, I remember coming home from middle school and like going right to sleep. Like I would just take a nap right after school. I was so tired all the time and I didn't understand why. Um, like I was missing sports I and I wanted to go, but I just like was so tired I couldn't go. So I would like call in sick all the time to school and things like that. And it was, it wasn't really sick. I was just like so exhausted and I could sleep the whole day. Like, so that's kind of how that manifested. So how is your family reacting to the severe fatigue symptoms and your, and your uh, desire not to go to school? Is anybody suggesting that perhaps maybe you weren't sick and that you should be going to school? Talk, talk, talk to us about how your family was reacting to this fatigue and your desire not to go to school. Yeah, I think they just like thought I was tired or thought I might have stayed up too late or just thought I was like going through puberty. Um, so it was kind of around that age too, where it was like, you know, maybe you're having growing pains or maybe you're tired because you're going through puberty and doctors did all the blood tests and they checked my thyroid and said everything was fine. So I was kind of just told, you know, you're fine. So when, when was the first time you went to a doctor after the tick bite and the onset of your severe fatigue? Yeah, I think it was around seventh grade. And do you know what type of doctor you went to visit with at that time? Um, it was just my primary care doctor. But I remember something came up on my thyroid panel and then they checked it again and it was all normal. So they just told me I was fine. So when the doctors told you that you didn't have any symptoms and I hear you saying they were telling you you were fine, right? Now, did yeah. you believe that you were fine or did you believe that you were really sick and that they just weren't finding what was wrong with you? I think at the time I believed I was fine and I just thought everyone felt that way. Like I just trusted, I trusted that they knew what they were doing at the time. And I guess like looking back, my gut feeling was always like something's wrong or, you know, I shouldn't be this tired or I shouldn't, it shouldn't take me this much energy to do all these things. But I just kind of got to the point where I was like, maybe I'm more tired than the average person. Um, so we sort of see gaslighting take people in one of two directions, right? In one direction, some, some people say, you know, maybe it's just really in my head and I'm not emotionally healthy. And because I'm not emotionally healthy, I'm feeling these symptoms that are not based in any, any, um, illness or any physiological illness. Now we have the other piece of this, which is, Hey, everybody sort of has this baseline level of not feeling well. And I just sort of like, have this baseline feel, you know, feeling of feeling cruddy or, and, and, and that's where the doctors are, are rather than a doctor saying to you, Hey, I don't know what's wrong with you and validating how you feel. 
they're invalidating it in one way or the other. And it sounds like you were one of the people who were invalidated into believing that there's sort of this baseline level of feeling poorly when you're going through puberty or you're, you're going through those stages of your life. Is that, is that where you are? Yeah, I think so. I think my symptoms were like explained by other things or like my joint pain was from gymnastics or whatever it was. So it seemed like it made sense at the time. So talk to us about how your symptoms developed and how they were interfering with the pursuit of your life's goals. Yeah. Um, I mean, I always like, I'm very type a, I always like got good grades and like made it through. So I think that's what made it less recognizable too, because I wasn't letting it affect me as much. Um, but well, I let's know. talk about that. Let, let's pause there for a second. So you're saying that you were able to grit through all of the pain and all the fatigue and all the challenges that you had, and you were able to perform at a high level academically, but where else was it falling off, right? Because it, when we're gritting through and we're, and, we're, and we're making it happen in some places, there are, there are failures in others. Were you, were you having challenges socially? Were you having uh, challenges emotionally? Where, where, was, where, were, where were the cracks when you were, when you were overcoming this through grit? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, probably emotionally, I just ignored it. And then like, I, I mean, I was, I would sleep a lot. My, my schedule in college was like, I could rest. I think it was like really when I got to the real world where I was like, okay, this is not normal. So I, I found ways around it, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, it definitely impacted me socially. I was tired all the time, you know. Um, it, it, looking back, it did impact me in school because I had to, you know, work harder and I had to, you know, sleep more. And I didn't, ha I didn't it, like time management, I guess. What about from an identity standpoint, right? I mean, were there, were there times when you thought you were letting people down and did you sort of have this identity of a sick person or... Um, were you just sort of gritting through it and not really thinking about it from the standpoint of, you know, who you are? I don't think I had an identity of a sick person. I think I just thought it was normal, I guess. I just thought it was, I thought I was just more tired. I thought, I, honestly, I thought I just needed more sleep than the average person um, to function. So how many doctors did you see in this window of time between you were 13, you got bitten by a tick and before you went to college? I want to talk about college separately. Um, things didn't progress very much during that time. There was like senior year of high school, I started having like some GI symptoms. And so I saw one doctor and they were like, okay, you're fine. So the symptoms ended up going away. I think maybe like the stress of applying to college and figuring out like where I was going to go, maybe exacerbated everything, but after that, it got back to like the baseline of, you know, not great, but normal for me. So now you go to college, right? You're, you're, you have this vision that you're going to be in the healing arts. You're either going to be a doctor or you're going to be a, uh, a therapist of some sort. So talk to us about um, how that desire was developed and how you chose your college to, um, to ultimately develop those skills. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've always had this like 
desire to help people in some way. Um, so I think that's kind of where that came from. And I've been interested in psychology for a while. Um, so those were mainly the classes that I took in college. I do think like now thinking about it, where you're saying like, where did the, cla- the where were the cracks? Like I couldn't balance a hard science classes and having a social life. And, you know, maybe that's part of it. Maybe if I didn't have, you know, all of this, I would have decided to continue on that path, but I don't think I was as passionate about it as I would be if I were to like, you know, go back to school now. So now talk to us about um, what your experiences were like in college and how your health was being impacted by the college experience. Um, I mean, I just like literally remember being exhausted all the time and like, you know, I stayed up late. I mean, there, I was explaining it. I was explaining like, okay, I'm drinking. Okay. I'm staying up late. You know, this is normal. So again, I kind of was like, okay, this is normal, even though I would sleep way later than my friends or, you know, whatever it was. So now I understand when you were about 18, you had an experience where you were diagnosed with mono. So talk to us about that. How did you get diagnosed with mono and how did that impact your healing journey? Yeah. Um, so I was, yeah, when I was 18, I did get mono and looking back, like, I know that was an issue now, but at the time I was like, okay, yeah, I was. And I think that did kind of exacerbate the fatigue, um, at that time. And then the GI issues came, but I kind of just got back to my baseline after that. So Lauren, you saw a number of different doctors between your tick bite when you were 13 and now this mono diagnosis when you're 18. At any yeah. point when you were on, uh, on this health journey, did any doctor who kept saying you have symptoms, we're testing you, you're fine, did they ever say, perhaps you might be suffering from a tick disease? Did, did that ever come up? Or did anyone in your family who was bringing you to doctors do any research to suggest that perhaps you were you were dealing with uh, Lyme? No. So now let, let's talk about your fast forwarding through your college experience. Um, when you're about 21, you, uh, you began to have other challenges and you ultimately suffered a concussion. So talk to us about you know, how your neurological symptoms were developing and how you ultimately um, came to suffer the concussion. Yeah, so the concussion kind of set off the neurological symptoms. Um, yeah, when I was 21, I got a concussion, which I think was kind of the point where I realized like something else was going on. Um, because my doctor was like, okay, yeah, you should be fine in like a year. And I wasn't. So the symptoms continued and they continued to get worse. And then I started having, you know, worse GI symptoms. And then I was developing food allergies and I was dizzy and I had headaches all the time. And, um, my joint pain was worse and I had like terrible brain fog. I like couldn't focus in class. Um, so just a lot of different things. So Lauren, one of the things that Matt and I are constantly looking for are patterns. And one of the surprising patterns that we've seen is that many people with Lyme disease suffer concussions during their journey. So talk to us about how you suffered your concussion and whether or not you believe that neurological impairment that you had been suffering from the Lyme disease for all these years played a role in you being vulnerable to the concussion. Yeah. 
Um, absolutely. I mean, that makes, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I definitely think it all plays into each other. I think that was just, you know, one of the other things that continued to set off all my symptoms. So Lauren, you're, you're now about 21 years old when you have the concussion and you're having all these neurological symptoms. Mm -hmm. um, talk to us about how things, what other things you had going on and how many other doctors you saw between that time at 21 and when you were finally diagnosed with Lyme disease at 28. A lot, <laughs> a lot of doctors. Um, and my journey was kind of interesting. Like I, my worst symptoms were the GI symptoms. Um, I started having trouble with like different foods. I was developing food sensitivities. Then I developed all these IgE allergies. Um, I was bloated my stomach hurt all the time. And that's really what I was pursuing because that was my most uncomfortable symptom that couldn't be explained or well. So I thought couldn't be explained by anything else because, you know, neurologists aren't really making the connection between the brain and the gut. Um, so I know now that that was kind of what was happening, but that was what I was pursuing. So then I ended up going to Mayo for that. Um, and that's how I was led to my connective tissue disorder diagnosis. All right. So talk to us about the connective tissue disorder and what that disorder uh, turned out to be. Yeah. So I have EDS, um, which is a connective tissue disorder and it's abnormal structure of collagen basically. So that there's a lot of ideas around it. Um, I know that, you know, people say that EDS can make you more susceptible to Lyme because your connective tissue is weaker. Um, but then there's also this idea of people becoming hypermobile after Lyme um, because of the connective tissue. So yeah, I mean, I think there's just so much more research that needs to be done. For sure. So it's, again, another one of the patterns that Matt and I have identified is many, many of our guests have EDS, right? I didn't even know what EDS was until we started doing this podcast. And it was yeah. shocking to me that there is a connection between the two. And when we discovered that EDS is, is a genetic, a genetically based um, disorder mm -hmm. that, um, that, you know, we have certainly been focusing on the vulnerabilities that come along with EDS and how it may make you more susceptible, or it may cause immune disruption that makes you more susceptible to uh, becoming chronically ill, not just, you know, acute, acutely ill, but uh, chronically ill. But, it, you know, yeah. you're, you're again, showing a lot of these very traditional patterns that we keep seeing when we interview folks. So um, were you diagnosed with anything else on this journey, right? You're on this journey, you're you know, like, I guess, 15 years into your journey before you get diagnosed, what other kinds of diagnoses did you receive? Yeah, after that, I was diagnosed with POTS. Um, I have like a clinical mast cell activation syndrome diagnosis. Um, like my histamine levels are high, but I haven't gotten the tryptase test done while in a flare like it's supposed to be. So, um, and then eventually was diagnosed with Lyme. So talk to us uh, about um, all of these diagnoses and what impact they were having on you emotionally, right? You're diagnosed with MCAS, POTS, EDS. I mean, you sort of have this grab bag of all of these different uh, diagnoses. What impact is this having on you emotionally? 
Yeah. Um, at first it was really overwhelming, obviously, um, because I was like, okay, I have EDS, like they're going to figure this out. I'll get better. Um, but then my physical therapist was like, I think you have POTS. And then she was telling me about MCAS and I was like, I don't have that. And then I did. So I think, you know, it's, it's very overwhelming at first until you kind of realize like how much they're all intertwined and how much they all go together. And that sometimes you can't pick apart, like, are my GI symptoms that I'm having now, are they from POTS? Are they from MCAS? Are they from mold? Are they from like, what are they from? I don't even know right now. So they're all so intertwined that it's, you know, I don't look at it as like a bunch of diagnoses anymore because it's all just like, there's not really a way to pull a lot of them apart. Well, but there's a thread now, right? You finally got the thread when you got your Lyme disease diagnosis and that ties everything together, right? Because we see the same patterns of diagnoses for people who are, who are suffering from Lyme disease. So how'd you get your Lyme diagnosis? And, and, and we'll talk about how you felt after you got the diagnosis, but how'd you get the Lyme diagnosis? So I got the Lyme diagnosis um, because I, I was exposed to like toxic black mold and that's when all my allergy symptoms started. That's when, well, they got a lot worse and I was getting hives. I developed IgE allergies. I have like sinus issues, ear popping, like all these weird things um, that I never had before. And so I told my doctor about it. He sent me to a specialist. The specialist test me for, tested me for mold allergies. And he was like, no, you're fine. You're not allergic to mold. Like, don't worry about it. So I still was like, no, like this, I know that this did something to my body. Like I did not feel this way before. Um, so I kind of like put it on the back burner for a little bit while I tried to figure out like the POTS symptoms, the, all of the other stuff. And then eventually I was ready and I found a doctor who specializes in Lyme. Um, and then I, kind of was able to tie it all together at that point. So Lauren, I just, it's blowing my mind. The fact that you had classic Lyme symptoms, it took you a total of, I think almost 15 years to get a Lyme diagnosis. I mean, you had EDS, POTS, MCAS, SIRS, which is the chronic in, in, inflammatory response syndrome. Yeah. I mean, and we've had countless guests have these things as well with Lyme disease and nobody really thought Lyme throughout this 15 year window. Well, I, I was diagnosed with SIRS at the same time that I was diagnosed with Lyme. And with your, with your mold exposure as well, did anybody suggest that maybe you're immunocompromised and that's why you were responding to the mold the way you were? Because, you know, some people can be exposed to mold and not really react to it at all if they're healthy enough and their immune system is able to manage it properly. Nope. <laughs> no. I mean, I think this just goes to show that there's so much more education that needs to be done in the medical community to make people aware of these conditions, I'll call them, that are related to a suppressed immune system and, and very often tied to a tick-borne illness like Lyme disease. But so again, so just to put a time frame here, you were 13 when you got sick in seventh grade and you didn't get diagnosed until you were 28. So I think we kind of left off, you were, you were in college, you were struggling with your health and developing all these different things. Give us an idea of your symptoms, you know, collectively, you know, from EDS to POTS to MCAS, how were your symptoms developing and how severe were they before you got your diagnosis? Um, so starting from what point? Uh, where we left off about, about the college time, you know, how are your symptoms getting worse around college? Yeah. So 
during well during college when I got the concussion um that's when like all my GI symptoms got a lot worse over the next couple years um and then I was developing like food sensitivities and then food allergies um and I've always I've honestly always had joint pain um so I kind of ignore it at this point but it did get worse um the fatigue brain fog um I also like have had symptoms of POTS for most of my life and I didn't realize that like nobody else feels dizzy when they stand up quickly or when they stand up at all you know I was doing a lot of yoga and I was like my friends would be like oh this sculpt class was so hard like I blacked out and I like literally would see black and I was like yeah me too like you know, so I think I just didn't know what these things were. Laura, were you sharing in depth the symptoms that you're describing to us today with your family and your doctors? I, I don't, not those, I don't think, because the way people would talk about them, I thought they were normal. Like a lot of my friends would always be like, I'm so tired. And I'd be like, me too, you know, or I'd be like, I'm so tired. And they would be like, me too. So I was like, okay, we're all just tired, you know? you know, or we're all working full time now, or we're all in grad school now, we're all just tired. But I don't think I ever realized how different my symptoms were than other people's, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And so talk to us about the concussion, because Rich kind of touched on it with you a little bit, but we've seen so many Lyme patients that suffer concussions. And from my own symptomology, you know, throughout my own journey, I know oftentimes you can get off balance and certain neurological impairments. So do you believe that that is what led to your concussion? Is that neurological impairments from tick-borne illness, undiagnosed tick-borne illness, led to your concussion? I don't think so. I think the concussion was what led to the exacerbation of symptoms. So that's when your neurological symptoms started to really kick in was after the concussion, it sounds like. Yeah. Now talk to us more about how you found your Lyme doctor, because you did mention that you, you know, you, you finally found a Lyme specialist until you got diagnosed, but what brought you to that Lyme specialist at that time? Um, it was mostly the mold. Like I, I wanted to find somebody who understood this and I was like, I just need somebody to test me and make sure that this isn't contributing to any of my health issues because I had gone through, you know, all the doctors with EDS POTS, mast cell activation syndrome and they kind of did what they could but I was like I think there's something more here and I just want to rule it out so I found this doctor from an EDS group um in Chicago so that's how I that's how I found him and Lauren in a lot of these groups you know especially EDS groups and POTS groups sounds like you may have been actively participating in online groups ha did you ever come across Lyme disease as being a common thread in any of these groups sometimes did it ever trigger that hey you know did it ever raise a red flag in your mind or were you just so focused on the mold exposure and all the you know these other misdiagnoses that you, that you were receiving that didn't really register with you that possibly that was the the common thread among all your diagnoses yeah I thought about it a little bit um I think it came up a couple times and I so I also got tested for Lyme when I I think it was like 2015, my allergist tested me and it was like two bands were positive. And she's like, okay, yeah, like you don't have Lyme. Don't worry about it. So at that point I was like, I was already tested and I don't have it. So I think just like the understanding around the testing too, um, was a big part of it as well. Cause I thought it was already ruled out. 
and your allergist never told you that these tests aren't accurate. And, you know, some say they're as in inaccurate as, you know, 60% accuracy that was never shared with you. Yeah, exactly. So now, thankfully, I mean, I, I guess thankfully, but you know, not so much, you were exposed to black mold. You were trying to dig deeper to see if that was connected to your health decline, which it probably was looking back and you find this Lyme specialist. So, you know, walk us through what that was like seeing this Lyme specialist talking about mold and then how the specialist brought up Lyme as a potential root cause as well. Yeah. So, um, I mean, he did like a ton of different labs and, um, that's how we figured out that there's like mold in my body. And then he did the Lyme testing and that's how I tested positive for Lyme. Um, yeah. Lauren, did he test you for any co-infections at the time? Do you remember? Yeah, he did. Were any of them positive or just Lyme disease? Yeah, I have a couple of co-infections. I'm kind of, I haven't necessarily started treating like the Lyme yet. So I'm not, I'm trying to not go too far into that yet. So, but I know people will say like, okay, that symptom you have is like Bartonella or this symptom is that. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. But I think, I don't know. It's, I kind of like compartmentalize it. You have to treat this first and then this, and then this, and then that, and like, then I'll get there. So one step at a time to not overwhelm yourself basically. Right. Yes. So now you know that you have mold toxicity and your, your body's try, try fighting off mold. And now, you know, you have Lyme disease and you're with this, what type of doctor was this? You said, I think it was an analogist. Um, that I saw in 2015. The one that diagnosed you with Lyme, that was the, oh. the mold doctor. Yeah, he's, um, he's just, now he's my primary care doctor. So I'm curious because many people have different approaches to start treating Lyme. What was his approach to treat you? Was it, a, was it right away we're gonna start to give you some treatment to kill off the pathogens or the Lyme bacteria or was he more preparing your body and getting your body ready for treatment at that point? more preparing my body and getting my body ready for treatment. And walk us through what that discussion was like when, when he met with you and said, you have Lyme disease and mold toxicity, we're going to start to treat you. What kind of message did he give you? Did he tell you this was going to be a long journey? You know, what was, did he say that this is going to be something we can knock out in a few months? Cause sometimes we have people on the podcast and they, they have these false beliefs that they're going to get better in like, you know, six weeks. Right. What was your expectation after getting your diagnosis? No, he told me that it was going to be slow and like a long, longer process. Um, and that, you know, different things work for different people. Um, you know, one treatment doesn't work for everyone. Um, so I think, you know, by that point, I kind of knew like this was going to be a long journey. Like anything I did for POTS or mast cell activation syndrome or EDS, like those were all slow things too. Like I would get, you know, a little bit better. So I already knew like whatever I had was not going to be like gone with a pill. So. Lauren, did this doctor, your now primary care physician who diagnosed you connected dots with everything else? And, and does he believe that your pot is connected to your Lyme and your MCAS is connected to your Lyme and, and your, your serves at that point was connected to Lyme? Does he think that, does that, you know, they're all related? Yeah, definitely. So based on that, what was the first takeaway? What was your first thing he wanted you to do to start addressing chronic Lyme disease and mold toxicity? Yeah. Um, I mean, first, I think the first thing I started taking was glutathione. Um, 
I mean, I've taken so many different supplements. Um, it's hard for me to remember exactly what I started off with. Um, but also infrared sauna was one thing that I was doing Epsom baths, which I'd already been doing anyways. Um, just kind of trying to get my body stabilized, um, so that I could start doing like binders and things like that. So it really sounds like you were preparing your body and opening up your drainage pathways through infrared saunas and detox baths and even using binders to, to get your body ready. Right. So, and glutathione as well, which is a, a master antioxidant and, and detoxer. So when you started taking these supplements, did you feel anything? How did you react to these? Or was it really just, you took them and you didn't feel any different at all? I think I took them and I didn't feel different for the most part. So at that point, you're going through all these steps to, to get your body ready. And you know, how long did you do this for, right? Was it, was this a couple of weeks, a couple of months? Give us an idea time-wise how long this process was. Um, probably several months. And do you remember the other supplements? Cause you, you made a statement that you took so many supplements. It's hard to remember what you took first. What other supplements were you taking at this time? Um, I was taking like ginger. Um, I was taking, I'm still taking a lot of these dehist. Um, I was taking vitamin D, the probiotic. Um, I was taking oregano oil for a while. Um, what else? L-theanine magnesium, and then like um, Zyrtec and nasochrom and things like that. Um, yeah. So it sounds like you were using a ton of supplements to address everything, right? I mean, you were taking, you know, things for histamines and, and allergies like the Zyrtec and, and the dehist, you were taking vitamin D, um, just as a general supplement, you were addressing your gut health with, with probiotics, right? I mean, you're taking magnesium. So it sounds like you were really working on strengthening your body at this point. And over the few month window, there was really no change in your health. You didn't get worse. You didn't get better. You were sort of just stabilized on these supplements, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. So when, at what point did you pivot from using these supplements to introducing something else into your, your regimen? Um, probably a few months after that, he added binders, um, and I was taking those for a while and I think I felt worse. So we kind of, so right now I'm not taking them. We kind of eased off on that. Um, it seems like people with EDS are like super, super, super sensitive to everything. So I'm like kind of backed up to the point where now I'm trying to like stabilize again before I do that again. So it just like has to be so slow, which is frustrating. So I think slow and steady is the key because we, we've learned from past guests, like we interviewed Nick Terensky, who shared with us that his first doctor worked with him to treat him too aggressively. And that actually is what caused his massive seizure disorder and put him in a wheelchair and essentially made him you know, bed bound. So I think you're making the right decision to go slow and steady to work with your body and recognize your body signals, right? So you're, you're saying, I felt a lot worse. So we had to pull back. But I, I, you know, Rich and I certainly believe that this is the right approach, because we've unfortunately seen too many people go too hard too fast and go, go backwards, unfortunately. So, but talk to us about, do you remember what specific binders you were taking when you, when you, after the few months and you added binders into your, your protocol? 
Yeah, I took GI detox for a little bit. Um, I took cholestyramine. I didn't build up all the way to the dose that I was supposed to um, before I stopped that. So the cholestyramine has been a, an interesting topic lately. You're, you're actually the third person this week who's brought that up with us. And although it can be a very powerful binder to remove biotoxins, I think that there are a lot of resources and studies that, that show that too much too soon can actually make you feel sick and actually create this cycle that gets perpetuated where you're removing toxins, but then more toxins are just are, are just being generated. And it's sort of like creating a cycle, making your body more and more sick. In fact, we have a, a former podcast guest, Christina Kovacs, who did an entire blog on this, how if you don't use cholestyramine properly, that it actually can get you into this vicious cycle of just kind of like flushing constant toxins throughout your system. So is that something that you talked about with your doctor and, and, you know, how to properly use it? Yeah. I mean, we, I started really low. So about how long were you in the binders for before you realized you had to pull back because you were reacting too aggressively? Um, I don't know, probably a couple months. And what were your symptoms, Lawrence? Like, how were you reacting where you said you had these negative reactions? What were the symptoms that you, you were sort of listening to your body about and to make the decision of, all right, we're going to pull back and stop this until I can get a little bit better. Yeah. I think just like most of my symptoms were exacerbated. My like GI symptoms, headaches, um, fatigue, just like kind of everything was worse. And also like, I, I think like my living places, the places I've lived in probably played into a lot of these things too. So what do you mean by that your living place is plated? Did you mean that you're living in moldy environments? Do you mean that you're living in, you know, stressful environments? Give us a little more information about that. Yeah, I think like water damaged places. Yeah. And we know, I mean, you know, one of the, Dr. Rawls taught us about two years ago when we first created boot camp that one of the things that will sort of lead to chronic Lyme disease and prevent you from getting better is constant exposure to black mold, which we know you had, right? Black mold and, and mold in general is, a, is an immune suppressor that will literally prevent you from getting better. So um, I think, you know, that's something that you you've been exposed to. And it sounds like, you know, through the use of binders and testing and remediation, you're taking steps to to, I guess, rectify that moving forward. Yeah. So now you made a comment earlier that I just want to go back to something you'd said, right? That neurologists aren't making the connection between the brain and the gut. And I think it's a really powerful comment because Rich and I didn't appreciate that either at first until we started to learn the role the gut played in immune health and also your you know, neurological ability. So can you give us a little more detail about what you meant by that? Yeah, I think it's exactly that is like the, the brain and the gut are so intertwined that like, I think my concussion really caused a lot of my gut issues. And like, I, I think where I need to really start is the gut because the gut's affecting my immune system and everything else. And like my neurotransmitter levels, um, just, just everything. So what are you doing to help restore your gut health? There's a ton, we know there's a ton of supplements, a ton of herbs, a ton of pharmaceuticals that can help your gut health and a ton of diets as well. So give us some specific details about what you're doing to improve your gut health. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm taking out glutamine. I'm taking like ginger. Obviously I have some kind of issue with motility. Um, and I have several allergies. So like, I don't eat gluten. I don't eat dairy. I don't eat eggs. 
And then I have a couple other allergies, which if I didn't have them, I probably would be eating them. But um, I'm also eating like lower histamine because I react so terribly to histamines like vinegar and things like that. Um, so that's kind of what I've been doing. I also have candida. So I'm, I'm kind of still figuring out exactly what to eat. Um, I'm trying to lower my sugar intake and lower, you know, a bunch of other things too. Um, but it's pretty hard. <laughs> and we know candida can be a, a major problem with your gut health. And that, I mean, that causes nutri nutrient absorption problems. It causes detox problems. So that's something that I think that you're working on as well. And hopefully you can get to start using some binders to, to help, help remove some of that candida in the near future. But so yeah. just again, time perspective here, you were diagnosed about a year ago. And over the last year, you're kind of outlining everything that you did. You started with this first couple of month window of just really heavy supplements. It sounds like some, some herbs, introducing binders is a little bit too much. You're pulling back on that and you're still just strengthening your body to get yourself into the actual kill phase of treating Lyme disease. Is that, is that sort of where you are right now, Lauren? Yeah. So bef before Rich picks back up, I do want to talk to you about some things that, you know, have been really personal to me in my journey that I think you can shed some light into. So for our listeners, you have a, a bachelor's in psychology, right? You, are, you're, you have a master's in social work and you're a licensed social worker. So there's definitely an emotional component to chronic illness, Lyme disease, tick-borne illness, and everything we've discussed here today. So talk to us about how your education and your fundamental understanding of, of psychology has helped you throughout your Lyme journey. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think obviously stress reduction is really big. Like it plays into all the symptoms. Like the more I learn, like, and these aren't things we learn in school either. Like about the nervous system. Like we, I mean, we learn about the parasympathetic and sympathetic, but you know, in relation to POTS and, you know, learning about like limbic system rewiring and things like that, you know, that's really interesting. Those were things I never learned about, but I'm definitely interested in them now because of what I've gone through. Um, so I think it's just, I'm always like talking about how like, I do therapy, but like, there are so many other things that go into it that I wish like we could learn more about nutrition or we could learn more about, you know, all these other things as well, because they're all so connected. So I have so many follow-up questions on that, right? So the first comment I want to make is I think you hit on something really important is stress reduction is really big. You said, right. And one of the things that sticks with me is Crystal Hefner talked to us about, she had to simplify her life and she did that early on. And that really set the stage for her to be able to heal. And I think that's kind of what you're saying is you have to simplify your life to reduce stress, to put your body in a position where it can begin to heal. And, and I think that's really the first step you outlined for us, right? Yeah. So then, then you know, I'm going to bounce around to a couple of comments you made. So then you also said that there's so much, you're in therapy, but it's so much more than therapy from a psychological standpoint, from an emotional standpoint, to be able to have a proper mindset, to be able to do the right things to heal. And you mentioned nutrition. So how is nutrition connected to your emotional health and your psychological health? Yeah, I mean, like what you eat is so important. Um, and that's something I'm kind of diving deeper into and learning more about just like, because I'm interested in it, um, reading books about it, you know, how different foods can affect, you know, neurotransmitters or your mood or, you know, your memory or your cognition or like all these different things. Um, so, I mean, I think 
I think it's important. And I think a lot of people don't pay attention to it at all. Lauren, from your own personal experience, what are foods to avoid when we're dealing with inflammation, which most of us are, and foods to avoid when we're trying, when we're battling things like anxiety and depression and emotional problems related to Lyme disease? Yeah, I, I don't like to like label foods as bad or like say, don't eat that because I think it's so different for everyone. And like people I've come across during this journey are like struggling with, you know, food allergies that make it so hard for them to cut out like something like gluten or dairy, or like if they have severe nut allergies and other allergies, it's really hard for them. So I, I don't know. I don't like to name certain foods. No, and look, Lauren, I totally get it. But I mean, I'll share with you that I have to avoid dairy because dairy will trigger inflammation and it it, it gives me a flare of my symptoms. That's me for Matt, right? You may not have that problem and others don't. So what, what for you personally, Lauren, has been important for you? Um, I mean, so I have IgE allergies to, to wheat, dairy, egg. So I've had to cut those out regardless. Um, and sesame and maple and oats and buckwheat. Um, but there, I mean, I know that his like high foods that are high in histamine definitely trigger me. Um, it's kind of, I'm at the point where like a lot of things are triggering me. Like it's hard for me to eat too much of anything. Like I can't eat a lot of like chickpeas or beans. And then like, I think nightshades might be kind of an issue too. And sugar definitely causes an issue. So it's, I'm kind of at this point where I'm like, okay, I'm trying to eat like a little bit of everything, but also, um, increasing my protein has been really helpful the last couple of months. So I'm trying to focus on that. But I, so I think that's really important, right? With the protein. And that's something we learned you know, through doing this podcast, especially with EDS is yeah. Lyme loves to eat the collagen and, the, and, and, and we need to sort of replenish that through eating protein and a high protein diet seems to help people with Lyme disease. So what are your thoughts on the connection between EDS and a high protein based diet? Yeah, that's something I recently learned was important. So I'm actually also seeing a nutritionist that specializes in EDS pots, MCAS. So that's, the first thing she told me to do was try to increase my protein to, you know, a higher amount than I was eating. And once I started paying attention to it, I was like, I'm not eating any protein. <laughs> so I thought I was, but I, I was not eating anywhere nearly enough. Um, so I think that's helped a little bit with energy levels. So give us an idea, how many grams of protein are you consuming a day for you personally, for Lauren, you know, what is, what is a good amount as far as a quota for, for protein for you? Yeah, I'm trying trying to get up to 90, like I'm getting 90 grams. I'm getting around, like, I'm getting to like 70, but I'm, I'm trying to get there. So beyond obviously, and I think it's, re- you gave us another really important tip is in moderation. If you eat too many chickpeas, you're going to react. Right? right. And I have that same experience where certain foods in moderation are okay. If I have too much of a certain food, I flare. And I think that's a really important note that we need to make individually and see what we can do and can't do. But you know, you have a lot of, lot of food allergies. So people who are in a similar situation or have food allergies, walk us through what you eat in a day that, that is a healthy diet for you that prevents you from flaring. So for example, today, what did you eat today? That's a good, you know, diet for Lyme disease. Yeah. Um, today's probably not the best example, but like maybe yesterday, (laughs) what I eat on a normal basis, I, I make a smoothie in the morning with like, fruits that I can tolerate. So like blueberry, mango, cherry, and then I'll do like some kind of protein powder that I can tolerate. 
Um, and then I do like chia seeds and hemp seeds in there with like some almond milk um, and then some almond butter or some sunflower butter if I want to. So I try to get like a good like 30 grams of protein in my first smoothie so I like don't have to worry that much about it for the rest of the day. Um, and then lunch will kind of vary like I'll have like soup or salad or something I try to just add a lot of veggies um for a while I was like very very plant-based like not eating a lot of meat at all um and I know like the opinions on this are really split too um so I wasn't feeling well doing that and I started adding like some more chicken and turkey in and I just kind of try to be very balanced with my diet now and I think, again, that's very personalized, but from my experience, chicken is a very good meat that is something that many Lyme patients can handle. I mean, that's that's the primary meat that I have to get protein is I eat chicken on a daily basis. And it's for me, it works very well. And it sounds like for you too. So but I also want to bounce back to the nervous system, right? Because we're, we're just fascinated by the nervous system, the parasympathetic nervous system, the sympathetic nervous system, and what foods and what emote, you know, what things can trigger that. So you, you did mention that that's something that's not talked about enough. So what have you learned about the nervous system? And, you know, how do you, what tools do you implement in your own life to help you balance your nervous system? So you're not stuck in a, in a constant state of fight or flight uh, from, from your nervous system. Yeah. Um, and that that's, you know, a big piece of this too, is like something I didn't realize is like, I've probably been stuck in this fight or flight for like years, you know, for the most part, like my body's in it more than it should be. Right. Um, so, you know, that was like kind of a light bulb moment moment too. Um, but I actually, so I tracked my HRV um, I don't know if you've talked about this before, but that's kind of a tool I use. No, I'm, I'm sorry, Lauren, can you, what, what is HRV? Because we haven't heard of that before. It's heart rate variability. Um, so it kind of, it, it's kind of a way to look to see, um, you know, where your nervous system and recovery is at. Um, so that's something that I track every night. So it, it basically is a, it's a nervous system indicator as to how well you're doing with your nervous system health. Is that, is that, am I understanding that correctly? Yeah. So, and then there's, I guess there's a scale to know what's a good number. What's, and I'm guessing we can probably Google this too and find it, right? For people that are listening and, and see what an appropriate heart, you know, heart rate variability number is. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of, there's not like a certain exact number, but if you Google it, it will show you like the middle 50% of your HRV values like by age. Um, so it, and it decreases as you get older. So, but then I, I got an aura ring and I've been tracking my sleep with that. Um, and so I noticed like my HRV is much lower than, you know, the normal range. And like, I'll see people you know, around my age post what theirs is. And I'm like, wow, theirs is so high. Like, so I know that that's like something numerical that I can work on. So that's been kind of cool for me is like, you know, symptoms, you can say like, you know, how is your joint pain today on a scale of one to 10? But like, this is like an actual, you know, measure. So I think that's helpful for me. Does that make sense? <laughs> no, for sure. And I'm just trying to put together the dots because I, I think I want to try it myself is so it's heart rate variability and the way you track that is i think you said you use an aura ring when you sleep to track your sleep but it also tracks your heart rate variability 
And that yes. number is an indicator of your, your nervous system health, basically. And the lower the number, the, I guess the lower the number, the worse off you are. Is that, is that the yeah, takeaway I'm getting? The idea. It's like when you have higher HRV, it's, it's meaning that your body is responsive to like the parasympathetic and sympathetic and that it's more balanced. Okay. So you, that's, so the higher the HRV, the more balanced your nervous system is and the more healthy your nervous system is. So what is an aura ring? And I apologize for asking you all these questions, but I just, it's really interesting to learn about how people can track their nervous system. Is, is it just literally a ring that's like an electronic device? It's a ring. I mean, it's, it's similar to an Apple watch, but it's just like a ring on your finger. Um, and it tracks like your sleep. It shows, you know, how much sleep you got. Um, it tracks your body temperature. It tracks your heart rate. Um, and it'll kind of tell you like, you've got like a readiness score for the day. It'll say something like, take it easy today. Like your readiness score is not very high. Or, you know, if I woke up a lot in the middle of the night, um, it'll say like, go easy or something like that. Um, the main reason I got it was to check my HRV and kind of have like a tangible number to measure to, you know, be able to work on this nervous system balancing. And it, what is it? Is it wireless and it connects like an app on your phone where you can track all this data? Yeah. So I, this is really fascinating because, you know, we're big. We just love being able to, you know, I, I don't like the word intuition, but it really, you know, it is intuition where listening to your body, Rich calls it body signals. You know, we've, we, we've had other people call it body confidence. So listening to your body and learning from it and giving your body what it needs based on your own intuition. But this ring, it sounds like can help you fine tune that and hone in even more to give you tangible data and numbers based on real physical things going on. How well did you sleep? What are your, what's your heart rate variability to sort of confirm your suspicions based on your own body signals and, and help you then determine what you should or shouldn't be doing that day. So a fun, fun question here is, do you think that your reaction when you wake up, if you know, Oh, I had a really bad night's sleep. Is it pretty consistent with the app and the ring, you know, or have there been times where you've been shocked? Like, Oh, I thought I had a great night's sleep. It's telling me to take it easy today or vice versa. Yeah. I mean, I think it's pretty, pretty consistent for the most part. And I think my HRV has a lot to do with like how I felt the day before, like, if I was stressed, if I was relaxed, what I did, if I overexerted myself. Um, and you brought up something interesting with like the listening to your body, because I don't feel like I'm that great at that. Honestly, like I've gotten better over time, but I don't know if like I ignored my symptoms for so long that I like, am kind of disconnected from my body now. Um, but so that's been like kind of an interesting piece of this too, is like trying to listen to my body, especially with food. I like, it's taking me years to figure out like exactly which foods are good for my body because I'm constantly bloated and have GI symptoms. You know, they've gotten better over time as I've taken out gluten, dairy, egg, you know, all of these things, but um, I'm still trying to figure out like how to feel good in that area. And so much of that learned those trial and error. And as you heal your gut and as you heal from Lyme, you're going to be able to introduce more foods that you couldn't before. And your body is going to give you those signals, right? Okay, now I can tolerate, you know, maybe a little bit of gluten. Now I can tolerate, you know, a little bit of dairy or whatever it may be. And I think as time goes on, you're going to be able to get better and better at that. But it's really interesting that you found an actual aid or a tool to help you confirm the way you think you're feeling with this aura ring. So that was a really, I think, powerful piece of, of what you're sharing with us today. And, you know, the, the other thing I want to talk to you about is your limbic system rewiring, right? We've heard a lot about DNRS. 
We've heard a lot about Gupta. We've heard a lot about vital side for this brain rewiring. What have you learned and what have you done in your own experience regarding limbic system retraining? Yeah, I mean, I, I bought the Gupta program and I'm like slowly working my way through it. I think it's, it's hard for me, I think, because it's not, they tell you to get up and practice it every morning. And I don't want to, but the idea behind it makes sense. And I try to, you know, think about it during my day and implement it. And I think I relate to parts of it, but I don't relate to other parts of it. So it's hard for me to be like, yeah, this is the thing. So I'm kind of like, maybe this is, you know, one thing and I'll kind of take what I need from this um, versus, you know, be this being like a huge part of it. Can you give us Lauren a little bit more detail about the idea behind this, this whole limbic system rewiring, you know, what is, what is the core idea at a high level of what it's supposed to do to help people with chronic Lyme disease? Yeah. I think just like, like my body's in this state of fight or flight and, like my nervous system is essentially overreactive. Like it's, it's reacting to everything and it's more sensitive to everything. So kind of just calming it down is, is the idea to kind of, you know, rewire the brain and make new pathways essentially. But it's hard for me because some of the ideas I don't relate to, like they talk a lot about like thinking about your symptoms a lot. And I I get in times where I do that, but I don't feel like I do that on a daily basis. I think I'm just, I try to do too much and I kind of ignore my symptoms. That's the kind of person I am. So some parts I relate to and some parts I don't. And I know what I do isn't helpful either. So um, that's why I'm trying to tell myself more often, like you need to take a step back. Like you can take a nap in the middle of the day if you need to, it's okay. Like that's kind of where I'm implementing those things. Before Rich picks back up, is there anything else? I mean, you talked about a lot you've done in this last year to help, you know, get your body ready and, and treat you treat both emotionally, physically, all aspects, full body treatment. Has, is there anything else that you've done that we've missed that you want to share with us? Um, I mean, I, I did touch on like the sauna, but I think that's been really helpful. Just, you know, obviously to prepare my body, but also like it helps me with joint pain um, and things like that. And... I mean, I do like, sometimes I do like castor oil packs, um, dry brushing, like things like that for lymphatic drainage. Um, I used to do a long time ago, this, it's like a power, have you heard of a power plate? Is that the vibrating plate? Like where you, yeah. like, like, and like, it's a lymph, yeah. lymph mover where it like literally shakes your whole body? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I would go to a gym, I used to do that before I even knew I had Lyme, but, um, that's something I'm wanting to implement more. I have like a trampoline, but it's kind of hard on my knees to do that too. So, um, yeah, I'm trying to think of what else I've done. Um, I think like getting like air filters has been really helpful for me just in my living environment. Um, and then too, like, I mean, I know you found me on Instagram. Like, I think just finding like people who understand is important. So Lauren, I think it's really interesting from the standpoint of now focusing on your transformation, how you seem to have come full circle, right? You've, you've always wanted to be in the healing arts and you had this sort of drawer to become a medical doctor and this drawer to become a mental health professional. 
um, and um, you were put in a position where you sort of had to make a false choice or so that you thought you had to, where a medical doctor would be one path and a, and a, and, and somebody who works in the mental health field or the working on the emotions is a separate path. But now what you're finding is actually it's one path, right? That your diet is going to have an impact on your emotions and your emotions are going to have an impact on your physical healing. And, 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 and it's really all tied together in this false, um, you know, false dichotomy that our educational system had you uh, buy into um, has all sort of fallen to the side and you're now studying nutrition despite being a, um, you know, a mental health professional and you're studying, uh, you're studying the gut and the impact on the brain. So talk to us about how that has been transformational for you um, in your journey. Yeah, um, nutrition or, or studying them. All of it together, because it's really, it's really one thing, right? It's really, you know, you, you, you're going through this process of now preparing yourself to heal, right? And one of the steps that you're taking in order to be able to heal is that you're, you're, you're getting your body ready to heal. Another one of the steps that you're taking is you're getting yourself um, your nervous system ready to heal. Another step you're taking is you're getting yourself emotionally ready to heal, right? So you're doing all of this together, despite being on a physiological journey or so one would think if we had this kind of breakdown of, of paths between the physical healing and the emotional healing. But you always knew in your gut from, from a very young age that healing was healing and that there shouldn't have been separate paths, but you decided to go on on the path of becoming a psychology major because that was a separate path than being a medical doctor. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. It's, I mean, they, they separate it, but now I'm like, I wish I could, you know, go back to school and be a dietitian and a nutritionist and a doctor, you know, and, you know, all these other things and just learn them all because like to really help someone, they need all of them, but you know, I don't know. It's, it's just, it's frustrating. Well, but Lauren, look, you were also victimized by this segmentation, right? Because you went to a primary yeah. care physician and you went to, you know, so you had all of these little segmented doctors that you went to and they'd give you a diagnosis of POTS or they'd give you a diagnosis of e, um, you know, EDS or they'd give you a diagnosis of MCAS because you were going to all these different people who were segmenting and they couldn't get you to a diagnosis, right? So part of what was happening on your journey is that you were, Put in a position where you were making a choice between one type of healing versus another. Also, what was happening on your journey is that you were you were being victimized by this segmentation or the specialization in the medical field. But another really interesting part of this is that doctors were gaslighting you, right? They were telling you you were okay. From when you were 13 years old, you had classic Lyme disease symptoms. You'd go to a doctor, you try to get help and the doctor would tell you, okay. So you thought, okay, I'm okay. And then you'd go to another doctor and the doctor would say, you're okay. Rather than the doctor saying, I don't know what's wrong with you, but there is something wrong with you and we should continue on this path. They were telling you, okay. And now look at what that's done to you from an emotional standpoint, because one of the things you just shared with Matt is, You've lost the ability to read your body, your body signals, because you had to do that in order to believe that there was nothing wrong with you for decades while you were sick. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, definitely true. Um, yeah. So and ultimately what happened was you, you know, look, we, we all fall into a place where we have this emotional home and these and, and we rely on a certain type of emotions and these and this place where we rely on certain types of thoughts and, and certain types of feelings, right? 
And what was happening as a result of you being gaslit is that you lost touch with your body, but you're now in, again, it's part of this journey, which I think is a really beautiful part of your story is you're now finding tools like the aura ring, which is helping you to measure this. And then you could then learn to re uh, revisit um, you know, an understanding of your feelings that had been stolen from you by all these people who were gaslighting you. Yeah. Yeah. So talk to us about what the future is for you and how you're, when you, when you finally get on the other side of this, how you're going to be taking these lessons, both in your clinical practices as a psychologist and perhaps educationally, how you're now going to sort of build out a better set of skills so that you can help people in a way that you aren't able to be helped by the doctors and the other mental health professionals that you are working with? Yeah, I mean, I think like, I kind of do that on my Instagram page. Like I mainly focus on recipes, um, but that's kind of something that's helped me a lot. Um, and I think has helped others just like from the, there's so many pieces to it, right? Like there's the food allergy part or the food intolerance part or like special diets. So that's kind of like, in a way how I feel like I'm helping people now with that page. But then um, I guess there's like so much more that people don't see, like all the conversations and all the people I've connected with who will message me and be like, how did you get diagnosed with this? Or like, what are you doing for this? Or, you know, how do you find a doctor for this? So it's just kind of cool to have people come to me and ask me, you know, how I got to where I am. Um, and I, we, we think it's really cool too, which is why you asked you to join the podcast. It's really cool that you are helping so many people and so many people are reaching out to you. And right. And, and that's the way we're, we're all going to get through this difficult experience together, right? You're going to help the people who are further along in the journey, people who are not as far along in the journey as you are. And then of course you're going to, because you're contributing so much to the well, you now have the right to reach out to other people who are further along in the journey and they can help you on the journey. And Together, we're all going to get through this. And that's how the healing journey ultimately will, um, will uh, develop. And I, you know, again, we can't thank you enough for all that you're contributing, not only, um, you know, by coming onto this podcast, by contributing so much to Instagram and being willing to share your experiences and your expertise with so many different people. Um, so, Lauren, let me, let me ask you one last question um, while we're on this helping theme. Uh, if, God forbid, somebody that you love came walking into the room right after you were um, done with this podcast and they had a tick biting them on their arm. What would you recommend that they do so they wouldn't have to go on a difficult chronic Lyme disease journey? Um, I mean, I, the first thing I would do is call my doctor because I trust him so much um, and just have you know them do whatever he says. I know people like send out the ticks to get them tested and see you know if they could possibly be infected by them. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I would do. All right, Lauren, Les, we can't thank you enough for sharing your beautiful journey on the Tick Bootcamp podcast. And we look forward to staying in touch with you and learning more and more about um, your healing journey. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with our guest, Lauren Les. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Lauren Les, please visit our Instagram page at lesswithlaur, L-A-U-R. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of our post. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick Bite Blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been provided to us by past podcast guests. We are due to visit our website at tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint.
Please note we'd appreciate any input or any improvements you would like to offer to us. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, we thank you, our community, for your comments on our past podcast episodes. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on Apple Podcasts, on Instagram, or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews we get. Thank you, as always, for listening.